Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. If there's something strange in your neighborhood, who, in fact, should you call? If there's something weird and it don't look good, you you just might better call Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Hi, I'm Ben. I'm Noel. Trademark. (laughs) Um, What is it? Huey Lewis? Uh, Huey Lewis sued. Was it Roy Parker Jr.? Roy Parker. Ray Parker. Ray Parker Parker? Jr. Yeah. Yeah, Something like that. Casey on the case with that one. Uh, no. That's also our super producer, Casey Pegger. <laughs> ah, there double, we go. The double sound cue. <laughs> yeah, Ray Parker Jr. Uh, famously sued uh, by Huey Lewis of I Want a New Drug fame. Uh-huh. If you want a fun little side-by-side, it's uh, versus I Think I Want a New Drug is pretty much that. Right, but but it's it's more about the chugging little under. And there's like yeah, the stabs, the stabs that are like dun 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 dun. Exactly. Well, thank God that litigation did not sink one of my favorite childhood franchises of all time, the Ghostbusters. I mean, it was the most desired Halloween costume by miles and miles. You know, did you have the proton pack? Did you have the little suit? Yeah. Oh, I had the whole thing. I had the I had the the uh, the station. Uh huh. Like the uh, firehouse. Yeah, the firehouse. Yeah. You had the the hearse. Yep. Or had, ambulance. Yes. What was it? It was a hearse, but it was called it was called the Ecto Five. Yeah, I, I had a lot wrapped up in uh, the Ghostbusters franchise. Even now, one of my cats is named Doctor Venkman. Uh, so I I carried that I carried that with me, triumphs and traumas alike. Well, I'll tell you why that is is because it was funny. Uh, poignant, heartwarming, and uh, most importantly, pretty spooky. Yeah, and I support, we're, we're continuing with our Halloween in November behind the curve activity here, uh, which is, again, our men's warehouse-esque guarantee. We will usually be behind the curve. We hope it's appealing. We were digging into 
the the concept of Ghostbusters. And, and before we travel to today's episode, by way of segue, let's just mention uh, that there was a recent reboot of Ghostbusters wherein the four protagonists were all played by female actors. Do you remember that? Did you see that one? I did. Um, I quite enjoyed it. The yeah. internet didn't really like it very much, but the internet's a, you know, a toxic a hive of scum and villainy, as we all know. Yeah, the internet is very into not liking things. So, so uh, and also, its yeah. relationship with women is very complicated. Uh, at, I would at, say at, at best, I would say terrible. Yeah, <laughs> it's like saying incels have a complicated relationship there. But uh, yeah, I also enjoyed the reboot, the newest reboot. I hope they do more in that vein. Uh, but this inspired uh, Noel, you, and I to look into concepts of ghost busting and we found uh, with the help of our research associate Gabe we found a story of someone who might be called one of the original Ghostbusters, a woman named Rose Mackenberg who was described as a spook spy. Yeah, or what we might know now as paranormal investigator. Yeah, that's yeah. a thing. Yep, yep, ghost hunters and the like, and and the uh, who? What's the name of the couple from the the the, the, the Conjuring films? Yeah, the Warrens. They were they were actually real folks who made this their life's mission, and this is a very early example of that. And one of my favorite uh, historical. Illusionists, escape artists, mm -hmm. Houdini, Harry Houdini is, is a big part of this story, right? Um, as you say, Ben, Rose Mackenberg uh, considered herself to be a spook spy, and Harry Houdini himself referred to her as his, quote, girl detective, which is more than a little bit of a loaded term. Was that him or was that the media of the day? Yeah, that's a good question. It's not quite clear. Um, but wh whoever referred to her as that, it was definitely a name that stuck. Um, there was, uh, at the time, as we discussed in the last episode, in the early part of the 20th century, a renewed interest in spiritualism and spooky stories that was largely uh, a result of, again, as we as we mentioned last episode, um, you know, this new burgeoning middle class mm -hmm. and folks moving from rural areas to more uh, densely populated city areas and um, changing up that routine and living in these kind of, you know, larger houses, et cetera, and bringing some of those tales that might have been more folk tales into more of a melting pot situation. Things ended up getting remixed, right? Absolutely. And if Harry Houdini's day job uh, and the way he earned his bread, butter, and uh, handcuffs was uh, working as an escape artist and a mentalist, one of his first loves in his personal life, one of his primary hobbies was busting what uh, he and Mackenberg would go on to call the ghost racket. Now, I love the idea of a ghost racket. I ain't afraid of no ghost racket. <laughs> right? Uh, this was in the early 20th century. Again, as you said, Mackenberg would travel to places where Houdini was scheduled to perform, and along the way, she would bust frauds, fake ghosts, uh, con artists pretending to be mediums, and so on. Interestingly enough, Mackenberg was once herself a devout spiritualist, but she became disillusioned throughout her time investigating these things, and she ended up becoming even more skeptical than she was at the beginning. Not sure we ever cited this publication before, but sci-fi.com has a pretty cool article about how Rose Mackenberg became the first female Ghostbusters when this former believer turned skeptic. And this turn, I, I don't know, I think, um, what, what was the turn in her, uh, in her life that caused her to go from believer to skeptic, Ben? 
Well, honestly, Nolan, we'll, we'll dive into this a little further in today's show. Honestly, it's it's more a case of constantly searching for something that purports to be genuine and literally every time seeing it disproven. You'd think those Scooby-Doo kids would have gotten the hang of that eventually, right? It's always an old dude in a mask that owns a private amusement park or oh, a, yeah. a, a, a abandoned farm or you something. You were there when I was complaining about this last week at the local bar. They should just call it Scooby-Doo Finds Old Men. And then what's the the blonde guy's name who always has the horrible— Freddy. Like, Freddy, who always has the worst ideas. He's like, oh, you know what, gang? We should split up. I've got an ascot. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a real hunk. Uh, yeah, you know what I mean, and, and it's such a it's such a ripoff because it is so so rarely a supernatural antagonist in Scooby Doo. No, no, no. It's Aegist. It never is in the original no. series. Well, in the newer series, it, yes. which is still canon, agreed. There there are some supernatural events, but I get so tired of that uh, where it was this Aegist stuff against. Old men, uh, well, like you, you heard us talking about that. Oh right? yeah, I, I, it's all coming back to me now for sure. Yeah. I believe we saw a young woman dressed up as Velma, and then it all went from there. And you asked about was it Fred that was the dumb blonde boy? Yeah, yeah. Who I'm going to go on record and say that the Velma is probably the smartest. Uh, most uh, well-adjusted. I'm just going to say, Velma's the best member of Scooby-Doo. Totally. Yeah, but, the best non-canine member of Scooby-Doo. But she has a fatal flaw. She always loses her glasses. Yeah. During the clutch moment where she could really make all the difference. She's always down on her hands and knees searching around Just for tape those, them up. those glasses. Just get get one of those headbands like racquetball players have. Agreed. Uh, they never really learn their lesson, do they? But, yeah, it's unfortunate because Rose Mackenberg, um, there's not a whole lot of info out there about her. But what we do know is that she uh, kind of – became disillusioned with spiritualism after, uh, again, like you said, Ben, Scooby-Doo style, constantly being let down and seeing people swindled um, and uh, and taken advantage of by folks purporting to be uh, spiritual advisors or uh, mediums of sorts. And starting in the 1920s, she began to make this her life's mission as a private investigator debunking some of these charlatans. Yes, and there was no shortage of those aforementioned charlatans. During the 1920s, the world was still recovering from things like the First World War, the Spanish flu pandemic, and more. These sorts of disasters, which lead to the breakdown of institutions and rule of law, led the masses to look for a higher law, some sort of involuble system, right? That would not be at the mercy of the ebb and flow of uh, the, you know, the chaotic turn of events that we call day-to-day mortal life. And so one of the things people turned to was spiritualism. Spiritualism was the belief that not only does an afterlife exist, but that through certain means, anyone, uh, whether through an intermediary or through a some sort of device or some sort of ritual, anyone can communicate beyond that veil of tears. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, you'll recognize him as the, the mastermind behind Sherlock Holmes, was one of the big-time uh, proponents of spiritualism. And he said, this stuff is great. I know you guys have heard of like falling in love and sliced bread, and those are pretty good, but they're at best a B plus compared to this new thing that I call spiritualism. 
and his influence was countered by another famous, highly intellectual person, the magician and escape artist Harry Houdini. And Harry Houdini essentially said, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, what's interesting about what you're saying is that it's absolutely wrong and you're making yourself sound stupid for believing in it. But I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to put together my own kind of Avengers team and we're going to Take it to the streets. We're on a crusade against the ghost racket. These people are not real mediums. They do not have uh, the best interests of their clients at heart. They are con artists, and they are out there to bilk vulnerable people at the most vulnerable moment of their lives. And I, by God, am going to put a stop to it. Yeah, and one of the reasons, too, that Houdini had such an issue with this is even folks, like, in his profession as illusionists, which, I don't know, like, I don't think anyone purported to be, like, I'm a wizard. You know, it's like, it was like vaudeville. It was meant to be seen as a craft. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, Houdini did not act as though he were some sort of divine character. You mm-hmm. know, like, he was just a performer who was very, very good at what he did. But some folks uh, that were in his uh, profession would kind of become these self-styled kind of Doctor Strange type figures and occultists and have these themes behind their shows. Uh, And maybe they didn't go so far as to say they were able to manifest spirits or whatever, uh, but they certainly wouldn't deny that they actually had these powers, these infernal powers, right? So that rubbed him the wrong way. And – I want to make it clear too, Rose Mackenberg, it was kind of when she, again, like you said, Ben, she uh, kind of had become disillusioned with this uh, the study of spiritualism that she was into as a teenager when she started seeing it being used in the same way that Houdini didn't care for, even though his might have been a little more ego-driven than uh, actual benevolence, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it was when she f- did her first case um, investigating spiritual fraud that she really decided, okay, uh, this is a real problem and I, I am now willing to sacrifice my own beliefs in the service of helping others. And Houdini himself, you know, you're right. It was ego-driven a bit, but he had a deep personal beef with people claiming to have this uh, this exclusive access to the spirit world. He thought right? it was the real thing. At first he did, yeah. Uh, in 1913, his mother passed away and... Houdini was so deep in the grief of losing one of the most important people in his life that he completely stopped performing and he started, despite, you know, the best arguments his rational mind could construct in desperation to alleviate this grief, he started seeking out the council, people purporting to be spiritual mediums. And Not only did he encounter, to his mind, fraud after fraud after fraud, but he could also see through it. You know what I mean? He would say, okay, this person has their hand under the table and they're tapping from the bottom of the table and pretending to be my dead mother for what? A bit of cash? Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. And, I mean, a lot of that stuff continues today with, like, cold readings and a lot of these techniques that are mm-hmm. have been maybe refined over time. But there's definitely still a market, um, largely in maybe television. I don't know. Uh, well, you know, the thing is people should be able to believe what they want and do what they want unless they're hurting p- others while doing it, you know?
tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh boy, have I ever been. (laughs) Well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So Houdini, after seeing this, is incredibly profoundly offended. He's also concerned that other people may be taken in, other more credulous folks may be taken in by these sorts of shenanigans. Enter Rose Mackenberg. Mackenberg grew up in New York City during the first few decades of the 1900s. Like you said, Noel, as a teenager, she did believe in spiritualism. She it caught on and was very popular, was in the zeitgeist, uh, not the daily one, daily zeitgeist, an excellent show. Uh, do check that out, but in the zeitgeist of the time. And she was introduced to Harry Houdini, probably as close as we can tell sometime uh, in the early 1920s or late 1910s. And When she first encountered Houdini, she had been working as a PI, a private detective, for a number of years. Their initial meeting came about when she consulted the magician about one of her own investigations, which involved the case of spirit fraud. 
Yeah, he saw something in her and invited her to join his crack team of around 20 um, undercover uh, PIs uh, that he referred to as his secret service. And they were all paid a salary, and he um, enlisted them to travel along, well, actually ahead of him on his touring spots to kind of suss out the towns and and sniff out any of these uh, spiritual frauds that might be there waiting for him. So— they would assemble a brief for him. Uh, They would find things like table tipping. That's when furniture appears to move on its own through some sort of ghostly telekinesis. They would also find things called spirit trumpets, this phenomenon which was supposed to magnify the ordinarily inaudible whispers of the dead, uh, but was actually ventriloquism. And table tipping was kind of like Ouija board stuff, controlled by the unconscious movements of participants. And there was billet reading where psychics seemed to know what was inside a sealed envelope. The thing is, the envelope was either sealed by a plant or a plant was involved in sort of feeding them the answers. And this wasn't, like, this was dangerous work. I mean, the, the, these were folks that were actually, this was their their stock and trade. They were making money uh, in these in these towns, uh, you know, taking advantage of people. It was sort of a elaborate uh, form of hucksterism, you know, and mm. they wouldn't take kindly to being debunked in this way and being exposed. I mean, it was the, the equivalent of shutting down someone's livelihood. Um, obviously, it was, it was deserved, but uh, this was a problem and, and it made Houdini and Rose quite a few uh, enemies. And the thing is, it wasn't just the uh, the racketeers that had a problem with what Rose and Houdini were doing. It was the the, the ones that actually believed this stuff um, wholeheartedly as well. And it would potentially cause like riots in the streets between the uh, the phony spiritualists, um, the anti spiritualists, and also the the hucksters. Right? Yeah, yeah. And let, maybe let's say pro spiritualists because. As you said, there were the true believers, and then there were the con artists who were more than willing to get those folks on their side, right, for for these riots. That's the thing. This was a community. This was not a situation of isolated scam artists functioning alone. And the fact there was a community meant that Houdini's Avengers would be eventually recognized. You could only bust so many scams before a word got around, look for this lady, Rose Mackenberg, she's after you. And due to the threat of recognition, due to also, as you said, the very real sense of physical danger, Rose and her cohort and her colleagues started wearing disguises. It got to the point where Mackenberg's first stop in any new town was a department store. And she didn't just buy, you know, whatever she was in the mood to wear. She would scope out the area first. This is impressive. And she would say, okay, let me get a sense of the demographics. What do the women in this town wear? Uh, you know, what do the school teachers wear? What do the, what do the widows wear maybe? What do the, um, the successful people wear, what to the lower socioeconomic scale wear, and then she would figure out what was appropriate. But she didn't stop there. She also aged herself with makeup. And I, I believe that at least a couple of times she wore a fake hearing aid. Isn't that right? 
Yeah, she had all kinds of props, uh, which is pretty interesting, considering the fakery involved in some of the spiritual, um, you know, hoaxes that she was trying to debunk, right? Absolutely. Uh, there's a great book on her by a guy named Tony Wolf. The book is called Houdini's Girl Detective, The Real-Life Ghostbusting Adventures of Rose Mackenberg. And Wolf says that during her work for Houdini, Mackenberg would travel to these towns and attend as many seances as she could disguised as a devout believer. And I hope, folks, I hope that you love these names as much as I do. <laughs> They're terrible. Uh, she would have aliases such as Francis Rod, F. Rod, F. R. A. U. D., Florence B. Rush, or Alicia Bunk. All is a bunk. And after she attended a ton of these seances, she would come back and report everything she learned to Houdini, and she would also describe. Uh, what they were purporting to do and what she thought the tricks actually were. Then Houdini would arrive in the same town, maybe a week or two later for his show, and boom, 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 he would bust the medium as a fraud. This became his routine until Harry Houdini died on Halloween in 1926. In the most underwhelming way imaginable, right? You picture a guy like this who put himself in these death-defying situations all the time, dying in some elaborate way, like falling from a building to his death or, you know, drowning in one of those glass dunk tank things that he would always try to escape from. But how, how did he ultimately die? I think he asked someone to punch him in the stomach when, when he wasn't expecting it, and, and that ultimately is what caused his demise. Yeah, yeah, like a uh, ab-flexing Icarus. Uh, he put his belly too close to the fist. Was that even true, though, Ben? Uh, you know, I just like the Icarus reference. Longtime listeners will know I'm fond of that one. But what, what it appears to be uh, is more a ruptured appendix. Uh, however, according to multiple sources, the circumstances around how he how he actually expired are still kind of mysterious and hazy today. We do know that he definitely died on Halloween. And all of this kind of uh, was the, the groundwork for all this was laid well before uh, ha Halloween of that year when on October 11th, um, he was injured with a piece of faulty equipment during that very, uh, the Chinese water torture cell uh, mm. stunt that he was so well known for. And then on October 22nd, um, during a uh, lecture actually in Montreal at McGill University, um, he invited a young man named Gordon Whitehead to punch him in the stomach. Oh, he didn't invite him. J. Gordon Whitehead was one of those McGill students in the dressing room, and Whitehead asked Houdini, he was like, hey, is it true that you can, you know, people can punch you however they want in your stomach? And he, this was a publicly known thing about Houdini. And then according to the witness, a guy named Sam Smilovitz, uh, Houdini said the rumors were true. He was like, yeah, that's true. And then, Without any warning, Whitehead immediately hauled off and punched him multiple times, like four or five really hard times in his stomach. And he needed time to prepare to exactly. receive those punches, right? Yeah, because he was just sort of laying on a couch. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so because he didn't prepare for it, he was in pain, he brushed off the incident. But then later that night, the 22nd, he started to experience stomach cramps and discomfort his condition got worse and worse. He took a train to Detroit, 
And on the train, he developed severe stomach pain, cold sweats, fatigues. His doctors suspected appendicitis. And it's crazy. According to History.com, the, these kind of really mortal cases of appendicitis are super rare. Uh, and there was a study they cite that they found only a few dozen uh, over a 20-year period. Um, but Houdini's diagnosis was pretty much accepted and his wife even received a life insurance policy, a double indemnity uh, life insurance payout for this accidental death because it was um, connected to the, the punching. Exactly. Yeah. And so he did expire after uh, a real terrible time on October 31st, which, you know, Houdini is such a fascinating character, but he wasn't entirely a villain. And I want to make, you know, we want to make sure that we're fair to Houdini and to Mackenberg and to all their colleagues because they were busting con artists. That's exactly what they were doing. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they were these uh, grim atheists or that they had no belief in the supernatural because while people like Tony Wolf or other historians would say that Houdini and Mackenberg probably didn't have any real belief in spiritualism, they were always careful to frame themselves as agnostics when they spoke about this in public. It was a 1951 article for the Saturday Evening Post where, wherein Rose Mackenberg said she wasn't really anti-spiritualism as much as anti-charlatan. And we have a quote from that article. We do indeed. I do not impugn spiritualism as a sect or as a sincere religious belief. There are many intellectually honest persons, some mediums included, who get solace from a belief in contacts with the afterworld. Um, isn't that what Prince calls it in the speech before uh, Let's Go Crazy? The afterworld? Pretty uh, sure. I think that's correct. Oh, my gosh. I love that. It's the, first, the only other place I've, I've seen it referred to is that I usually see the afterlife. Uh, but let me continue. That's not the quote. That's just that's just you talking about Prince. This is me talking about Prince. Yeah. I'm, hey, I'm just talking about Prince. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Uh, my work, this is the quote, and this article concern only those mediums who deceive trusting persons. Is there any medium who can actually call up the spirits of the dead and put them into verbal communication with the living? I don't know. There may be. All I can testify to is that I have never met any. Which sounds fair, right? 100%. It's fair. It's, it's, not, it's not aggro. It's not rude. It's just that I, I don't know whether it exists. I just haven't found any. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many 
different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. So this catches the eye of Congress, too. Let's let's backtrack a little bit before Houdini's death on Halloween. Uh, Houdini eventually went before Congress to testify about a proposed anti-fortune-telling bill that was meant to ban people from pretending to tell fortunes for reward or compensation or pretending to unite the separated. That's as described by William Kalush in his book, The Secret Life of Houdini. So before the first hearing begins on February 26th, Houdini sends Rose Mackenberg to D.C., and she is tasked with doing the thing she always does, which is to try to find some mediums. So she does her bit. She finds mediums. She figures out what... Uh, tricks or techniques these mediums are using. And then Houdini comes into town to deliver this case. He's made, he's done this TED talk a thousand times, right? It's, it's part an expose. It's part snarky entertainment, but word of the anti fortune telling bill HR 8989 had spread through again, the spiritualist community and local mediums turned out in force uh, two of the leaders of the pro-spiritualist side of this argument were a minister named Jane B. Coates and an astrologer named Marcia Champney. And that bill, H.R. 8989, would have levied a $250 fine on any, quote, any person pretending to tell fortunes for reward or compensation. Um, that could have also been paired with six months in prison. Um, and that's, in, that's within Washington, D.C., uh, the nation's capital. Um, and the bill was essentially built on the foundation of these assertions that it's just not possible to see the future. Therefore, it kind of renders uh, the spirituality argument sort of moot, right? Mm -hmm. It deflates even the, the true believer's position, which is probably was controversial, I imagine. Yeah, yeah. And Spiritualists, of course, reacted adversely to this. They said communicating with the dead is a matter of faith 
meaning that it is protected under the First Amendment. That's a really good point. I mean, it is. Separation of church and state. How is that any, that's like saying, you know, Jesus wasn't real or like you, if you believe in Jesus or, or, or a, a priest or a preacher, then you're a fraud or a charlatan. How, how is asking people for alms or for, right. uh, you know, um, donations and the, the you know, collection plate at church any different from this? Yeah. And- Based on these Rules. Yeah, and we have to remember this is very much a legalistic letter of the law situation. Rose Mackenberg is also in D.C. with Houdini to testify about the medium she visited in D.C. beforehand. She delivers a bombshell that day. She says, congressmen and senators regularly attended seances And one congressman's wife is, in fact, a medium. Not only that, she says, these seances have been held at the White House. It's a witch hunt. Her testimony rocked Washington. The White House was not happy about this because clearly they, you know, they were not an objective party here. And they immediately denied this accusation. But at the end, it didn't matter because the bill never really passed due to some of the, you know, the greater concerns we just outlined, right? 100%. And then, as we said, Houdini passes away in Halloween of 1926. But this is not the end of Rose Mackenberg. Uh, She continues her career afterwards, right? Yeah, it's crazy. She was with him right up until his his last breath because she was there with him in Montreal and was participating in the lectures that he was giving, which which, which the contents were largely about this kind of stuff, uh, debunking these these fraudsters. Um, And there is footage of this uh, that is in a Houdini documentary that uh, Unipix Productions put out, um, which I, I have not seen, but I would love to. You can read a little bit more about this on themagicdetective.com in the article, Houdini's Mysterious Girl Detective. Um, that, that, that did appear to be a, a, a moniker that stuck. Um, there's a really interesting detail or a really interesting um, little bit of trivia here. In, a guy named Julian Proskauer, who was another one of these uh, ghost racket investigators, he estimated in 1932 that the number of people taken in by these hoaxes were about 30 million a year and uh, at the cost uh, personally to these individuals of 125 million dollars. That's yeah. insane. That's a huge industry. That's like a, a economy of scale in those days. That's insane, man. Yeah, it's a huge industry. I also keep in mind that's 125 million total at 30 million yes, per yes. year. Yep. And that's still that's 1932 dollars. Rose continued Pursuing this line of work, this was a passion project for her. It was a personal vocation, and she pursued it throughout the Great Depression. She investigated on behalf of insurance companies, law firms, uh, better business bureaus, newspapers, other other institutions of that sort. She was the guide to uh, the Chicago Tribune's approach to the spiritualist underworld of Chicago. And she wrote a bunch of seething expose articles. She would do demonstrations of common con artist tricks for nonprofits. And she lived long enough to see 
The cycle continued. Time is a wheel. Time is a flat circle. All things come back around again. So the Second World War ushers in another revival of spiritualism. And then she sees it again during the Korean War. And in 1951, during an interview, she estimates that there are some 150,000 mediums active in the U.S., and she said the number will continue to rise as long as the war continues. So she had been interviewed in a number of different publications, American Magazine, Collier's, Popular Science, and so on. She had eventually given up or retired from investigating this sort of activity because she had, quote, grown tired of sitting in dark rooms. She said that no number of exposures seemed to shake the faith of believers. And it turns out she was right. As of 2013, the modern American psychic services industry is estimated to be worth slightly over $2 billion. Sheesh. But, you know, we should say it's changed as well. There are not many people attempting to use ectoplasm and stuff like that. No, because, I mean, people are largely because of, the, you know, things like the internet and the proliferation of information and people being able to kind of check behind some of these things. Unless you really want to believe and be willfully ignorant, uh, it's a lot harder to get taken in by some of these mm-hmm. uh, these tricks. You know, but then you have folks like, uh, what is the guy's name? The crossing over? John guy, Edwards. John Edwards. I mean, I, I've, I've witnessed uh, situations where I felt as though there was something uh, a little more uh, intense than just cold reading techniques going on. I, 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 who am I to say, you know, that there isn't uh, the ability for someone to have a stronger sense for these kinds of things? I think, you know, with our other show that we do, Stuff That I Want You To Know, mm-hmm. we run into things like this all the time. And we always have to kind of hedge our bets uh, without coming down too hard and saying, no, this is all poppycock versus, you know, yeah, there's things that we don't fully understand. And I kind of sit somewhere in the middle of those two camps. What, what do you think, Ben? So it's profoundly arrogant and very, very human to imagine that we as a species or as individuals understand the totality of reality. You know what I mean? We're a species that burned people alive for saying the Earth orbits the sun. Like not that long ago when you look at time as a big picture, right? Yeah, finger snap of humanity. One of the best analogies for it is, uh, is the following. So our understanding of the world in which we live and indeed our understanding of ourselves is akin to a guttering, sputtering match in the universe. And the universe is a dark room and it's so big that we cannot see the corners. All we can see is uh, the match and maybe part of our hand holding it. So to assume uh, that we know anything about the darkness beyond uh, the little bit of light we have is, again, just the word I keep coming back to is arrogant. However, it's also true that our species will rip off each other whatever the opportunity presents itself. You know what I mean? Whether it's magical water that will make you live forever, whether it's a belief system that is impossible to disprove, right? Uh, Or whether it's, you know, a car that uh, runs on positive thinking. There's there's no shortage of examples. That sounds nice, Ben. It does sound nice, right? And just saying that would, you know, get you some better mileage. But in this case, what we see is uh, the story of one person's crusade, which was to a large degree effective. 
And and again, it sounds like uh, you and I are kind of on on the same page. There's there's more to the workings of reality in the universe than humans currently understand. And to anyone who's listening to this podcast thousands of years from now, uh, we envy you, uh, hopefully. Hopefully the house of cards called civilization has not collapsed and you've learned a lot about uh, the world beyond the one in which we currently live. And hey, you know what the weird trippy thing is? If any of this afterlife, afterworld stuff turns out to be true, then the people listening to this from thousands of years in the future as linear time goes, can they don't have to hit our social meds, man. They can just call us up directly and, like, invoke us. Electric word, life. It means forever, and that's a mighty long time. But I'm here to tell you there's something else. The afterworld. A world of never-ending happiness. You can always see the sun, day or night. So when you call up that shrink in Beverly Hills, you know the one, doctor, everything will be all right. Instead of asking him how much of your time is left, ask him how much of your mind, baby. Because in this life, things are much harder than in the afterworld. In this life, you're on your own. And if the elevator tries to bring you down, go crazy. I wanted to jump in. Uh, The only other abuse of afterworld that immediately jumped to mind for me. Mm -hmm. Give me a Leonard Cohen afterworld. So I can sigh eternally. That is uh, Penny Royalty by Nirvana. Ah. All right. Well, we got some literature in there. We got some science. We got some spirituality. We got one of our favorite tropes on Ridiculous History, uh, good old-fashioned con artistry. I think that makes this our episode. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, everybody. Uh, By the way, Mackenberg did uh, inherit Houdini's crystal ball. Uh, You don't need a crystal ball to get in contact with us before our next episode. You can find us on uh, everybody's favorite technological impression of clairvoyance, the internet. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Ridiculous History is all over it. Uh, We highly recommend one of our favorite sites on the internet, which is our Facebook community page, Ridiculous Historian. But we're not just a show. We're also individual people, and you can find us online as ourselves. It's true. You can find me exclusively on Instagram, where I am at HowNowNoelBrown. And you can find me on Twitter, where I am BenBullenHSW. Or you can find me on Instagram, where I am named, as I like to say in a burst of creativity, at Ben Bolin, spelled how it sounds. Huge thanks to super producer Casey Pegram, Alex Williams, who composed our theme, Christopher Hasiotis, here in spirit. Gabe Luzier, a research associate, Eves Jeff Coat, Jonathan Strickland, aka The Quister, Dr. Vankman, both the character played by Bill Murray, and my cat. Shout out to you. Vigo I, the Carpathian. Vigo the Carpathian. Uh, what, what is it? The Sorrow of Carpathia? The Scourge of Moldavia? I think that's the one. Is that a I got close. That's a great speech. And, of course, Janusz. Oh, lovely, lovely Janusz. (laughs) We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. 
True story, the intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.